Well, good morning. How's your attitude? You know, are you glad to be here? Or, or maybe you're feeling a little depleted. What was your first thought this morning when you woke up? Was it, man, great, it's Sunday, I get to go to church? Or maybe it was, man, I'd sure like to sleep in this morning. I'm not asking for a show of hands. I don't want to be discouraged, all right? Man, are you a joy to be around? Or are you becoming maybe a little moody, a little stressed, a little frustrated, irritated? Do you have to stay away from uh, too much coffee this morning? Because you're already so full of life that if you have another cup, you might become dangerous. How can we keep our souls replenished in midst of the demands of life? I mean, life can really wear you down. People can really wear you down. Don't look at them right now. Don't, don't look at them right now. People can really wear you down. Life can wear you down. You know, as I've shared with you in the past, you know, uh, my time of solitude, my quiet time, reflection time in the morning, man, God just uses that to regenerate, to rejuvenate my soul like, like nothing else. And this uh, summer, uh, Jan and I had a chance to go away. We usually go away at, in the beginning, end of June, which is our anniversary, but life was so hectic and so much going on, we had to put it off to the end of July. And during that summer vacation, man, I just had a time and I had a chance to spend some time alone and really read. To me, was a, just a great, phenomenal book. Now, I don't know if the book really was that good or if I just really had a good time reading it. We were in the, uh, the mountains, Blue Ridge Mountains up in North Georgia. One morning we woke up and it was 46 or 49 degrees. For a Florida boy, that's like, I went to heaven. You know, it's July 30th, and it's 46, 49 degrees. And I get up, and I get my coffee, and I sit out there, and after I read my Bible, I'm reading this book, and boy, it just, it just spoke to me. It was just so powerful. It was like a conversion experience. It was like an aha moment. The way some of you have that kind of experience on Sunday, you know, you, you come here and not all the time, but every once in a while something really great comes out of the, the pastor's mouth or, or one of the pastor's mouths and you're just like really moved and you're like really inspired and you walk out the door and you say, Raymond, man, that was the best sermon I ever heard. That's the best message you ever preached. And you know, I'm kind of a why guy. So as soon as you say that, I got a thousand questions like, oh, why? You know, why? And I, honest truth, I go home and I'll ask myself, you know, Brent said that was a, Amy said that was a really good question. Paul, Gary said that, and I'll say, why, why was it so good? What did I do differently? What, what made it so good? And you know what I discovered while I was on vacation? It has little or nothing to do with me. I mean, I finally figured that out. It has little or nothing to do with me. It was the best sermon ever because that's what you needed to hear. And God spoke to you at your place of need, and boy, it was just so good and so real, and it just moved you. And that's what kind of happened to me. I've asked other people about this book. They said it's a good book. I think it's a phenomenal book. It's called Soul Keeping by, by John, John Ortberg. And as I read that book, I began to get a picture of my soul. And I began to see that my soul was fatigued. And one of the beautiful things about being a pastor, I, I would honestly say probably the, 
to me, one of the, and I'm being a little selfish here, but one of the best things about being a pastor is you have opportunities all the time to read your Bible, study your Bible, to read great books. And, and then you get to teach what you're learning. And when you teach something, you really get it into your DNA. And it really brings change in your life. My wife used to love it in the early years when I used to read those great books on marriages, you know, because I'd have to, have to teach it and then I'd have to put it into practice and be a better husband, you know. So that's one of the real benefits of being a pastor is you read great books like John Orbrook's book. And then you get to teach it. And when you teach it, you really integrate it into the DNA of your life. So over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be sharing with you some of the stuff I learned from, from John's book. You see, what I discovered before I went on vacation back in June and July, for the first time in my life, and I'm not exaggerating, for the very first, the only time I can remember, the very first time in my life, and I just had a birthday this past week, turned 36, so I saw the doctor, got my physical, the doctor said, the doctor thought I was in my early 40s, all right, just saying, I'm turning 56, okay. Uh, but, but for the very first time in my life, my joyful confidence in God was being tested. I've always had such a faith in God, such a just a, a joyful confidence. I just lived in that joyful confidence. It's, it's always been a part of my life. And I was beginning to doubt I was being tested in that joyful confidence like no other time in my life now at the time I don't think I was even self-aware enough to exactly know what was going on inside of me you know I, I could feel it I've been running at a very fast pace for a long time I've been carrying a real heavy burden as you all are aware about my daughter's health about my mother's health, about my mother-in-law's health, the church's health, and how that really was wearing me down. It was negatively affecting me. It was negatively affecting my wife. It was negatively affecting my, my marriage. It was negatively affecting my soul. And I was praying for help one morning on vacation, reading this book. And it's like God just spoke so clearly to me and he said, I must, Raymond, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your overscheduled life. Can you say that with me? I must, Ruth, I must, and we're going like, to say it like together, okay? And it's like it's up there, right? Okay, we can see that. Let's, let's say it together. You ready? I must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from my overscheduled life. Apparently, it doesn't touch you like it touched me. Apparently, you don't have a problem with it like it does me. Let's read it like you have a problem, all right? Help me feel better, you ready? Let's read it like we really have a problem. I must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from my overscheduled life. Thank you. Thank you. You know, interesting that Jesus was busy. He was constantly busy. He was going, touching, helping, serving, loving people. He was busy. He was missing meals. He was so busy. But yet you read the passages of the gospel. He was never in a hurry. He wasn't in a hurry. And I've developed a lot of self-discipline in my life. And I have great times of solitude in the morning when I really feel my heart is like full alignment with God. But, but then I get in my car and I go to work and it seems like everything changes. And so I started leading into the thing and I said, well, why, why is that? When am I most hurried in life? And I, and I realized... <clears throat> 
that I'm most hurried in life when I'm driving. When I'm driving. My wife would say, yeah, that's the truth. I don't know quite why that is. Maybe it's just my need, my love for speed. I, as you know, I used to own and drive a dragster. You know, I like going fast. I have a bike. I, I like going fast. I, I try to obey the laws as much as appropriate, but I, I just like going fast. And I kind of like getting from A to B as fast as I can get there, even when I don't have to get there in a hurry. I'm always in a hurry. And if I'm honest with myself, I think it's more a reflection of a hurried soul than a love for speed. You know, I think of my friend Tom Seaford, and Tom's been a great friend to me and a great friend to our church, and God will only know what he is, Tom has done in my life and the life of this church. And, and uh, Tom is a very successful, semi-retired uh, CEO that's led hundreds of people, and I've got to know Tom very well, and I, I look at him as being driven a lot more than I see myself being driven. He, he, he's driven. Um, and he's driven, and he's always going, and he always wants to get things done, you know, and he keeps me going and getting things done. But, but it's amazing when Tom gets in his car, he's not in a hurry. He's not driven. Matter of fact, he kind of just pokes along, almost embarrassingly slow. I mean, he or she is the kind of guy that I honk at, like, you know, get off the road if you're going to drive that slow, you know, and I'm riding with Tom, and Tom rides with me, and now Tom drives a Ford, and maybe that's the reason, maybe I need to buy a Ford, and that'll slow me down, help me to, you know, get rid of being hurried, I don't know, but what I do know is this, I need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from my overscheduled life. Because when you're living at Mach 3 speed, your soul gets tired. Your soul gets cluttered. You see, your soul is not just something that lives on after your body dies, right? It's the most important part of you now. You are a soul. Say it with me. You are a soul. Genesis 2.7 says, And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Read it with me, can you? And man became a Now, living soul, what does that mean? What does that look like? You know, we all know we have a soul, but it's difficult to describe it. What does a living soul look like? You see, your soul is the invisible part of you, of all of you. We have an outer life. And then we have an inner life. We have a, a public, visible life, and then we have a private, personal life. Your soul is the eternal part of you. It's the permanent part of you that lives forever. Comparison to your body, which is impermanent. It's going to die, and it's going to rot, and it's going to disappear. But your soul lives forever. You see, our, our soul is the part of us that separates us from everything else that God created. I mean, think about this. Trees, I'm sorry, those of you who love trees, I love trees. Planted a bunch of them in my backyard. Trees, trees do not have souls. Animals don't have souls. Only human beings have souls. Our soul is the part of us that God made so that we can connect with him. I mean, you don't see, at least I don't see trees and animals getting together and worshiping God on Sunday. Maybe you do, you know. We seek God because we have a soul. 
Our soul points us. Our soul yearns. Our soul seeks God. Now, let me um, try to illustrate it this way. Here's a good picture of your body. What, what, what is this? This is what? It's not a trick question. What, I always call it Tupperware, right? Does it look like Tupperware to you? It's supposed to be Tupperware. Apparently, I picked a bad object. Um, can we just say it's Tupperware then to help my story? Okay, so, so what, what is this, Brent? It's Tupperware. Okay, it's Tupperware. Um, and basically, that's what your body is. It's Tupperware. It's just... Uh, it's a glorified, your body is nothing more than glorified Tupperware. That's really what it is. It, it's just a, a physical container for your soul. See, what's important, when you look into your refrigerator, it's not what's important is, you know, having all your Tupperware in your refrigerator, and they look pretty and they're nice, and man, they got a lot of different choices these days. As you can tell, we, we choose the cheap stuff, um, you know. But what's important in your refrigerator isn't your Tupperware containers. What's important in your refrigerator is what's inside the Tupperware. What's inside the Tupperware? Chocolate chip cookie dough. See, that's what's important. And what's important isn't your body. It's what's inside your body. Chocolate chip cookie dough. No, your soul. Your soul. And that's what your soul is. That's what your body is. Nothing more than glorified Tupperware that contains the resting place until your body dies for your soul. Your body was made to hold your soul. And you can change part of your bodies. I mean, you can get a nose job, you can get a tummy tuck. I've been thinking about that. You know, that's a whole lot easier than dieting. You know, you, you can, you can uh, lose part of your body through an organ transplant, but your soul remains unchanged. Your soul lives forever. As God put it, you are a living soul. Dallas Willard in his book called The Renovation of the Heart kind of draws it this way and maybe this will kind of help you understand uh, what a soul is. He, he uses four concentric circles. That's what that's supposed to be and thank you, Karen. You did a very good job. And, he, and, and Dallas would say at the center of man is our will and I can't spell or write. And will often is referred to, he kind of uses the word heart interchangeably at the center of you is your, is your heart, it's your will, it's your choice. You know, Genesis talks about how we as human beings, we are supposed to have dominion over all things. What separates us as human beings from, from trees is trees don't have wills, you know. They can't just say, oh, today I want to drop my leaves or I want to get rid of this branch. No, they don't have a will. We have a will and we have a responsibility. We're supposed to have dominion. We're supposed to take care of the trees and the animals. We're, we're supposed to have dominion over all things. So at the center of us is our will. It's the capacity to choose, to, to force our will on other things. We have a will. And then we have a mind. That's our feelings, our thoughts. And then is our body. And then is our what? Our soul. Our soul is all of you. That's what our soul is. 
all of us. Our soul is like the, like the operating system on your computer. Microsoft Windows, you know. If your operating system is not working well, guess what happens? Your computer ain't working well. That's kind of what your soul does. Your soul tries to integrate your, your mind and your body and your will and your heart. It tries to integrate it to all work together. A healthy soul is one that's working well on integrating all the parts of you together and together well. That's what our soul does. Now, in our culture, what do we glorify? We put all our focus on what? The body. We put all our focus on the outward Tupperware, right? And, and, and some of that emphasis is a good emphasis to eat better, to exercise well. I'm not by any means putting that down. But we put, put our focus on our body rather than the most important part of us, which is our what? Because it's permanent. It lasts forever. The body doesn't. You can do a million push-ups. doesn't matter someday. Those pecs are still going to rot right off your, off your body, you know? The single most important asset you have is your soul. Jesus says God is looking at our soul. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 16. He asked this question. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything more important than your soul? Now, Jesus is kind of, he's kind of painting a picture of a balance sheet. And one column is our assets, you know. It's our house, it's our car, it's our boat, it's our family, it's our friends, it's our career, it's our stock. It's everything. Everything that we have in our life that is impermanent. It doesn't last forever. Jesus says, you know, what do you benefit if you gain all that stuff, all that, all those assets, all those impermanent things in life, but yet in the other column, you lose your Soul, the permanent thing of life. Jesus is asking, what's the payout? What's the benefit? What do you gain from all that stuff? If in the process you're losing yourself, you're losing your soul, Jesus is clearly saying the single most valuable asset you have is your soul. You excuse me, are a soul. You're a soul, which begs the question, are you taking care of your soul? Are you replenishing your soul? Or are you suffering from soul fatigue? Let me ask the question another way. How many of you um, have a garage on your house or apartment or whatever you live in? Can I see your hands? How many have a garage, all right? Vast majority of us have a garage. Now, what, what's the purpose of a garage? A garage is the place to put your what in it? Your car in it. And the purpose of a garage is to kind of protect your car, you know, and, and make it convenient for you. And that's, that's why we have garages. Back in the 60s and 70s, especially if you owned a Ford, they used to really rust out really bad. You know, they get the dew on them. And so we, used to be, we began to build garages to protect our cars from moistures so they wouldn't rust out. And that's, that's why we have garages, is to help protect and provide for our car. Now, now, what happens to our garage over time? Life happens. And as life happens over time, we start 
for lack of a better word, none of us want to admit this about ourselves, but we start hoarding things. We start keeping, you know, we like watching the TV show, but we never call ourselves one of those. Um, and we start, you know, seeing stuff that we like, and you know, and we, and we got Christmas coming, the holidays coming, so we keep keeping more stuff. And so we begin to start storing all these boxes and all this valuable stuff that some of us call junk you know, depending upon which spouse you talk with. And you start keeping all this stuff in your garage and now the car sits in the driveway because there's no room for the car in the garage. Now the garage was created for the car. But because we've got so much stuff and so much junk, the, the car is pushed out of the garage. And the same thing in America is happening in, in so many of our lives. We just don't see it. We're so overscheduled. We got so much clutter and so much stuff, and it's good stuff, and it's good activity, and it's stuff you don't want to get rid of. But what it's doing, it's pushing our soul, it's pushing ourself outside of ourselves. And we're lost and we're confused. We're overscheduled trying to manage all our assets and responsibilities, and we're losing our soul. You are a soul, and you are responsible for the well-being of your own soul. We saw that last week, right? That our soul needs a what? You remember? Needs a keeper. You are the keeper of your soul. You and nobody else. I guess your pastor's got some responsibility there. We're going to give an account for your souls. Pretty scary. It's the only thing that lasts forever, and we're going to give an account for it. But you... Nobody else. You are responsible for the well-being of your own soul. You need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your overscheduled life. According to a recent survey, they say 80% of us say that we have significant stress in our life. 80% of us, significant. You know, I'd raise my hand on that one. How many of you would say that you've got significant stress in your life right now? Looks like almost 100%. <laughs> and I don't need to discourage you, but what I have found and heard and experienced is that it only, sorry, gets worse. The older you get, the harder it gets. Somehow or another, I kind of believe this lie that, you know, as you get older, those are the golden years. You know, it, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's what, somehow we've learned that, or I learned it in our culture somewhere. It's supposed to get easier as you get older. You know, but having three kids under the age of four is a piece of cake to changing your parents' diaper or dealing with the own, your own degeneration of your own health. Now, please don't misunderstand me. When you've got little kids, it's stressful, all right? I'm not trying to minimize that. I'm not trying to uh, belittle that in any ways. I mean, we had three under the age of four. It's stressful. My point is this. The vast, vast majority of us feel maxed out, overscheduled, overspent, overworked, and it's only going to get worse unless we take responsibility for our overscheduled lives. You see, your, your life in a lot of ways is kind of like this, this paper bag. This is your life. <laughs> this is my life. And what do we do in life? We keep blowing more and more stuff into our life until eventually we what? We pop. 
and we break our watch. As you came in this morning, we gave you a paper bag. I'd like each of you to take that paper bag out right now. I'd like you to put your hand around the neck and roll back the top. And on a count of three, we're going to blow these paper bags up and pop them together. One, two, and then three. All right? Not yet. Not yet. Some of you... Love to get it done. Yet, not yet, not yet. Everyone's blowing in their bag already. All right, you ready? Nope, not yet. Not yet. What, what does this bag represent again? Life. Your life. And you ready? One, on one. Now stop. Wait, wait, wait. Not yet, not yet. That's just one. And what did you just blow into the bag? Life. Your overscheduled CRAP that you keep storing in your life. Good things. Sometimes it's good stuff like kids, all right, or a spouse, but it's still stuff, all right, so one, two, three, wow, some of you are a little slow, you're still popping, now what I want you to do right now, I want you to look at the bag, look what happened to your bag, and I want you to try real hard right now to fold that bag back up. See, this is what happens to your life when you try to do too much. It tears, it busts, it breaks apart. Thank you. Now, you got it folded up nice and neatly. I want you to put it somewhere. And what I want you to do, this is your homework assignment this week. I want you to take this bag, take it to work, put it somewhere to remind you that this is your life. And when you keep scheduling too much stuff in it, it's going to pop going to tear. You're going to suffer from soul fatigue. You are responsible for the well-being of your own soul. You and only you. You see, we all have our limits. Most of us have far too much activity in our overscheduled lives. And we have to take responsibility for it. We can't control everything that goes on in our life. We can't control the stock market. Some of you have tried. You can't control everything, you know, the economy, the weather. You can't control what your spouse fixes for dinner, but you better sure eat it, right? I mean, you can't control a lot of things in life, but you can control a lot of the activity that's going on in here. And we can limit the activity, we can simplify our schedule. We can choose to unclutter our soul. We can choose to create more space in that bag to let God work in our lives because what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? You are a soul. And you are responsible for the well-being of your own soul. And your soul needs rest. Your soul craves rest. Your soul was made to rest in God the way a tree rests in soil. You replenish your soul when you spiritually rest in God. Now, we're not just talking about physical rest. You know, we all can suffer from uh, 
physical fatigue at times. We stay up too late. We, we're watching football. Uh, we, we get up too early. We go through life on Red Bull, you know, and coffee and donuts. And we, don't, we neglect our body. We neglect exercising and making good choices and eating good food. But physical fatigue is different than spiritual fatigue. We're not just talking about mental rest or, or mental fatigue. You know, we're all bombarded today more than ever before. We have more information, new information coming at us every day. I was working with our IT guy, Doug. He comes to church here and he, he comes in and fixes some things on my computer. And every time he does it, I always want to learn because I want to do it for myself. And Doug just looked at me and says, why are you even trying to learn? He says, I can't keep up with all these changes. You think you are? I only see you once every couple months. I said, you got a good point. Okay, I'll, I'll call me when you're done, you know. And he's right. Information just keeps changing so fast. And we go through life carrying this list of, of things to do and errands we need to get done and bills we need to pay and emails we need to reply to. That's what you call mental fatigue, but that's not spiritual fatigue. We're not talking about emotional fatigue. You know, emotional fatigue is when you, know, you hurt people's feelings. When people are upset with you or they're mad at you or they're unhappy with you or you can't decide what clothes to wear or where to go on vacation or what to eat at the 18-page Cheesecake Factory menu, right? I mean, that's, that's emotional fatigue. You know, the need to make a decision can overwhelm us at times, but there is a fatigue that's much deeper than physical, mental, or emotional distress. It's the fatigue of your soul. It's the fatigue of your soul when your whole being begins to shut down, when you, when you feel distance from God and dissonance with yourself and you feel disconnected from those that you love the most. It's the way Elijah and Jonah felt when they wanted to end their lives. It's when you begin to lose hope in a God who has always come through for you. Soul fatigue. It's what the disciples felt. After Jesus was arrested and crucified, their Messiah, their, their hopes and dreams were dead. And they fled in fear. Soul fatigue. What do you do when your soul is tired? When your soul is fatigued? You ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your overscheduled life. Our souls don't seem to do so good when they're rushed all the time, when you're constantly on. Now, there's a big difference between being busy and being hurried. A busy life is an outward condition, right? A hurried life is an inward condition. A busy life is an outward condition that affects your body. A hurried life is an inward condition that affects your soul. Busy life is a fully scheduled life. A hurried life, when you're hurried, you're unable to be fully present in a conversation. You're unable to be, to be there because down in your soul you feel hurried. You feel rushed. A busy life is physically demanding. A hurried life is spiritually draining. A busy life reminds me that I need God. God, I need your help. I need your power. I need your presence. A hurried life causes me to be unavailable to God because I'm so preoccupied with my mind and my thinking, my hurriedness, that I don't hear the promptings, the leading of the Holy Spirit in my life. Busyness migrates to hurry when we let it squeeze God out of our lives, out of our Sundays, out of our thoughts, out of our time. 
Do you remember the story in Mark chapter 6 when Jesus sends his disciples out for the very first time to preach the gospel? And and Jesus is real hands-on with these guys. He tells them where to go and what to do and how to say it. And he sends them out and they go out. And why they're out doing it and trying to do it, why they're out doing that, their friend, John, John the Baptist, gets killed by King Herod. And so they come back and they, and they meet with Jesus. And they had a great time and they had a lot of success and they, and they sit down with Jesus. But their bodies are tired and their souls are depleted. Their friend has been, been killed and their cell phones are blowing up, right? And people, opportunities and phone calls and needs and, and, and they come and they sit down to Jesus and Jesus says this to them in Mark chapter 6, verse 31. Jesus says, come with me. By yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. He just didn't send them out on their next assignment. He didn't say, that a boy, way to go. Awesome job. Here you go. Go do this. Let's go to this town. He noticed that their souls needed some rest. So he sent them off in a boat to a quiet place. He slowed his disciples down so their souls would not become fatigued and disconnected from God. You see, soul care is different than self-care. Self-care focuses on yourself. Soul care focuses on God and connecting with God and connecting with God throughout your day. Your soul needs rest. Your soul needs to be replenished by resting in God. You know, the world imposes hurry on our soul, kind of like a crying baby, you know? But we need to learn to withdraw to a quiet place so our souls can find rest. My wife and I came back from our trip. We met with a counselor, and, and we came to the conclusion that, you know, we can't wait a year to go away. We're running too hard and too fast. We've got to get away more consistently. See, in solitude, you rest. In solitude, your soul finds rest in God. In solitude, there's no agenda and there's no distraction and there's no noise and there's no to-do list. John Ortberg says, doing nothing does wonder for the soul. And right now, I'd like for us just to bow our heads and pray. And I'd like for us just to take a few minutes in our service here. And, and we're just going to do nothing. We're just going to do nothing. So just bow your head, close your eyes, and quit worrying about lunch and thinking about. I want you just to sit there and, and do nothing. Just bow your eyes. Bow your head. Close your eyes. Doing nothing. Does wonder for the soul.
Come with me. By yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy loads, heavy burdens, come to me and I will give you rest. Come to Christ. Find your rest in him. You know, for some of us, as we're quiet, we feel dissonance. We feel disconnected. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Maybe this morning you need to give your souls to Christ. See, when you give your soul rest, you open it up to the peace that Jesus wants to give you. Jesus wants to give you his peace, but you've got to rest in him. And maybe this morning, for the first time in your life, you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save your soul. Through the shedding of his blood, 
He wants to save and cleanse your soul. Can you pray this morning and say, God, I acknowledge my need of you. I acknowledge my sin. I thank you that you sent your son to die for me. I invite Christ to come into my life and to save me, to save my soul. God, we thank you for saving our souls. Help our souls to rest in you. Help us to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our over-scheduled lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.